Hey everyone, welcome to Train Shuffling, your train podcast. It's just about trains. Uh, I'm Eric. I'm Johnny. And we're your hosts about trains. <laughs> I'm just going to put about trains at the end of all of my sentences tonight. So uh, let's receive starting capital, Johnny. Train Shuffling is brought to you by Midgard Hobbies and Games in Dare, New Hampshire, our local friendly game store, and they even have a couple of 18xx on their shelves, last I checked, so check them out if you're in the area. Next, we'd like to thank Luxury Playstyle, maker of fine metal tokens for all kinds of gaming needs. Visit luxplay.com, that's L-U-X-Play.com, and use promo code LUXINFORMANT for 15% off. Finally, we'd like to thank our lovely patrons for their support. We're super excited that you choose to support us, and we're saving up contributions to help improve our live streams and bring you better content. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash meekinformant. Let's receive, no, we already received starting capital. Let's go into our private auction, which we will immediately bungle and have the rest of the game go terribly because of. But this one's going to be easy, though, because do we have any? Any corrections? corrections? I can't think of anything. Yeah, I can't either. I think that we have once again achieved perfection. I think that we've mostly just scared off the people or like <laughs> made them realize that we're not going to listen to them or something. I don't know. Maybe pe- people are like, well, they don't care. Um, so they're not going to bother to correct us anymore. Hey, the one time we got a correction, we read it loud and proud. It's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, let us know how we mess up nicely. Moving on. Uh, let's go to the initial stock round. How'd you come out of that private auction, by the way? Do you have, uh, do you have some, some good privates? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really riding that joke out with me. <laughs> cool. So this is the initial stock round is where we uh, talk about our listener questions and uh, answers from the last episode. We actually got some like trickle in responses. I, just, from... I have to say, I have to mm-hmm. say before you get to the responses, my deer in the headlights was because I legitimately thought you were like totally 180 going onto a uh, ask about the 1830 auction from the game we just played online and i was so caught off guard by the question (laughs) Uh, what did i get i don't know what's my income (laughs) no yes we'll get to that later um so yeah we had some trickling responses from our question from the previous episode which was uh what's the craziest thing you've ever happened seen happen in a stock round or in a game in general i guess but kind of focused on stock rounds and we had some pretty good responses that we wanted to read to you uh, the first is from Jerry Woodfield Woodfield on groups.io, which is the new Yahoo Groups, if you're not familiar. Um, and he said, I forget which title it was, maybe 1822, but the leader sold almost all of his shares in the SR in order to break the bank. There was about to be a train rush of permanence, and that would have replenished the bank, and thus end the game earlier than it normally would have. It was risky, as there were still two R's to be run, but he held on. So I guess this person was in the lead, and I actually hadn't ever thought of selling all my shares to break the bank which is pretty cool you'd have to be pretty far ahead because the runs in the last set of or is usually pretty lucrative yeah so i guess this person had had a good spot but there was about to be a train rush and yeah i guess all the permits are did probably get bought uh, but thought they could hold on to the lead for that set of ors so that's pretty cool that's a neat one gotta try it sometime our next one is from joe dinier also on groups.io, four-player game of 1849, where companies can close if the stock value gets tanked enough. Also worth noting, if there are any shares in the bank pool, the stock value of that company goes down. That said, I had just bought my first permanent train for a brand new company in the previous OR. 
the company was in the leftmost column and five squares away from being closed, i.e. if five shares would get sold, it would close. The guy next to me sees that he has more cash on hand than me and also sees that the trains he has are about to rust, so he starts buying up shares to steal my company. I tried to save it by buying as many as I could, but could only get 40%. Now realizing I cannot save my company, I dumped all four shares into the bank pool, which left the token one space above the company closure space. The two other guys, those who were not busy taking over my company, had no interest in buying any of the shares. So once the stock run ended, the company moved on down to the closed space. I love this story. This is so great. <laughs> it's like, you want this company with all this money and this nice permanent like this train? Is a, the thing that would happen to me. <laughs> well, I think I'm just going to, no, you can have it. And now it's closed <laughs> like immediately. I guess I'm very guy... aggressive on jumping on opportunities to like steal people's companies and stuff like that. So yeah, it's the ultimate see like... me being the guy getting a company closed on me. F you, you can have this, but it's <laughs> worthless. Uh, one final bad decision from the president, I guess, of selling shares <laughs> or good decision in this case. Yeah. So, Maybe you should talk about this next one because I I think you know the rules to 18... Oh, this is 1841. Oh, okay. So this will be relevant to those who know that. I don't get it, but I'm going to read it by uh, Chris Giroir. Giroir? 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 Tell us, Chris. <laughs> how, do you, how do you pronounce your name? We have one next... The next one, we know how to pronounce his name now. Um for me, it was a game of 1841. I had the SFL, and it was running well. A friend was in control of the company that splits, and when it did, the table split split up the investments into both halves. See, like that part, I don't get. I wasn't watching close enough and got myself into a position where I could get the company dumped on me. The player was then able to loot everything out of it before the next SR. In the process of selling my shares at half course, cost, of course, bleh, I had to sell off shares of SFL and ended up giving my good company with new trains over to the person that just dumped the empty company on me. It was brilliant. I hope someday I manage to play this well. So I don't get the part in the middle, but I do love the out ending outcome of that. <laughs> Seems pretty sweet. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I wonder if this was a uh, right, right place, right time for the person who ended up getting the SFL with some brand new trains or if that was entirely planned all the way down to getting the SFL based on the emergency share selling. Yeah. I feel like I've always been like very, uh, just happily noticing, Oh look, I can do this horrible thing. (laughs) I've not managed yet to plan something like that out in too far in advance. I mean, that's pretty diabolical if you can, if you can (laughs) actually plan that. So well done, whoever you are, if you did plan that. All right. Andrew Fink, we were about mid-game in a five-player 1862. Oh, this one we'll get. And I was probably sitting in second or third place when I decided when I decided to sell off the sixth share of my own company to manipulate priority order and also pick up a share of a company that was likely to be merging in the upcoming OR. Well, I miscalculated the train rush because when my company operated, it was trainless and I was forced to refinance. However, after selling that share in the stock round, I now only had five shares, which was split to two and a half. Nothing I owed owned paid out before I operated, so I didn't have enough cash on hand to purchase the refinanced option share, thus causing my only company to fall into receivership. Next comes the anticipated merger, and the reason I sold my sixth share. But again, I didn't have enough cash on hand to purchase the option share and was forced to sell it back to the bank pool. With one move, 
I was without my company, without any decent shares, and without much money or earning any of the set of ORs. I could not have engineered a more disastrous train wreck. The sad part is 1862 is my favorite game, and I had played 20-plus times before this happened. <laughs> so for those who haven't played 62, uh, the, the two and a half uh, rounding down to two may not make sense, but it's a 30% director's share, so that's why he lost his company. Yeah, he went from six shares, sold one, and then had to split them in half, and they were two and a half, and he couldn't afford to get that half a share to, to hold on to the company, so he lost it. Rough, rough, Andrew. Um, that that's pretty good. I like that. So th- those are the responses we got from like the trickling responses for the craziest stock round stuff. And then our question from the last episode was like, what's your biggest aha moment that you've had playing 18XX? And I guess, Johnny, you want to hop in and hook us up with yours first. Yeah. So it's actually, it's pretty obvious once you hear it. Is it? I'm not sure. I gotta, I gotta think about it still more. So I had heard so many times that you you need a train to run three times in order to earn more money than it costs. And I never really understood why that was the case until I saw somebody mention that when you're calculating whether or not a good a, a train is a good purchase, if you look at the run that it's going to have, if it can run for half of its cost, then it's a good purchase. So it suddenly made sense. Well, if you run it twice, then it's paid for itself three ORs. Now it's made money. When that clicked in my when I heard that and it all clicked in my head that was an aha moment for me on how you can quickly and easily look at a train and look at your board and figure out if it's going to be a worthwhile purchase I mean obviously with like a hundred caveats right like right it, yeah it everything might not in run for three has 100 caveats but sure as a rule of thumb maybe so yeah right it, it might not run for three runs it, it you might it might never run but it still would be a good purchase if you're gonna get out of a bad position et cetera, et cetera. but yeah it's an interesting interesting thing to try and evaluate i'm going to try and watch that over the next you know next plays that i have uh so fedor apple said in my last game of 1849 so so when i've actually read this i thought that this was the person that uh who was it joe up above who was talking about 1849 and his like dumping a company on somebody and then having it close immediately i thought this was the person who who got the company dumped on him, uh, but it's not. In my last game of 1849, when I was totally dominating, a player holding only a single company sold his permanent trains to another player's company and then dumped the trainless company on me. I always f- felt safe as long as... What was it? I always felt safe, safe, as long as players were only holding a single company. So this was a big eye-opener. I really enjoy your podcast. Take care. Thanks, Fedor. Um... Yeah, so he right. He thought he was going to steal a company from a person who only had one, so he didn't think he could shuffle the train out, but instead he just gave it to someone else, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, if this guy was in the lead, then then the player did right to make him, you know, hurt him a little bit on the way out. Yeah. So or, I mean, it's also possible that he had shares in that company that he sold the train to. So he had a stake in them doing well. That's true. Yeah. Here, have this nice train to help me and you. That that get, touches on a little bit on our, our topic that's coming up. True. All right. And uh, our last one, yeah. uh, Josh Starr of Grand Chunk Games. Learning to count how many trains will actually, how many times a train will actually, actually run. 
it's pretty sobering to realize some trains may only run once or never at all. And I guess that kind of goes back to the, the caveats with the, if a train can run for half its cost, then it's a good purchase because obviously that's assuming that you get to run it three times. So, um, obviously that's not always the case as Josh points out. Nice. You're like, I had my aha moment and you're like, well, mm. (laughs) (laughs) maybe not. (laughs) Okay. So let's lay some track. We have, uh, a fair amount of 18 XX news. Um, and I guess related train game news. Want to kick us off here, Johnny? Yeah. So Capstone announced Ride the Rails, which is their new edition of Rail USA. So that was uh, another. That's their second of the Iron Rail series, uh, which is they're they're re-releasing the Winsome some of the Winsome games with Ian O'Toole doing the art. So it looks awesome. Will probably be awesome. I still haven't played Irish Gage, but I'm gonna buy this one. I have played Irish Gage, and I quite enjoy it. I played it once with myself, me myself and I, as three players just to learn it and. One. I got to say, I had a pretty good time. Uh, I did. <laughs> Those other guys were idiots. Um, and then I played it with my wife the following day and a friend. And I kind of stepped on my wife a little bit too hard. And she <laughs> came out sour. She was like, I don't like this game at all. <laughs> so got to get her in good mood and try it again. That was Eric's aha moment. Not to step on your wife too hard. Yeah. I want her to like a game. Well, I, I was like giving advice to, I mean, my wife is very smart and when she's like interested in kicking ass at a game, she, she does. But, um, so I think she's still getting used to these shared, shared incentive, incentive games. And I was in the lead and I was like, you guys should probably auction off a share of one of my companies. And they were like, no, we're just going to build our rails. And I was like, okay, but I'm making so much money. And yeah. <clears throat> so new news, other news. More news. This is kind of personal, but we also want to like rep the rep the venue and all that stuff. So, uh, TotalCon, if you are in the Marlboro, Mass area, uh, is have it's, so TotalCon is a is a convention that's going to happen Thursday, February twentieth through Sunday, February twenty third. So next month, and Johnny and I are going to be there on Thursday and Friday, and we would love to meet any listeners um, or just whatever, train gamers, and to get schooled by them. We're going to be there pretty much exclusively to play 18xx, but other other games that we'd like to, I guess, while we're, while we're there. Yeah. I mean, I would say train games. Mostly 18xx, but I definitely want to, you know, wouldn't uh, say no to a game of Irish Gage or Age of Steam or something like that, too. Yeah. So I guess it's pretty... Uh, pretty 18xx is pretty well represented. They have the Puffing Billy tournament there and uh, a lot of the local diehard train gamers uh, are veterans of the the con so stop by check it out super excited gonna get some monster xx in hopefully uh yeah what's is there like you you want to do oe like spend the entire time doing that game no it won't take the entire time i'll spend one half of one of the days i guess so not the full scenario no i mean it's like a it's like a 12-hour game is it? I thought it was like a 16 or an 8 hour, 18 hour game. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, and I also want to play 1817, which is also another long one. I feel like that's much more likely to, to get done there in a reasonable timeline. Anyway, moving on. Uh, actually, moving backward. Captain Con is another con in Warwick, Rhode Island. 
that is actually happening two weeks prior to that, February 9th, 7th through 9th. And we're also going to be there. Um, this time with our wives, probably doing less trains, but My definitely. Future wife. What's that? My future wife. That's true. Yeah, you're not married yet. Um, and, but we'll probably be able to slip a train game in there sometime. So if you happen to be going to either of those cons, uh, send us a note and maybe we can say hi. Yeah, so All Aboard posted uh, some photos of the prototype art for 18 Ireland, which looks pretty sweet. And that's yeah. a game that I've been looking forward to for a while, so... Me too. Two thumbs up. Thumbs up. Uh, and then in the next six months... Oh, it's my phone on the floor. In the next six months, GMT Games... Uh, so that in the next six months, as of December 18th, GMT announced that they are going to add a new title, a new 18xx title to their P500 list. I posted on board game geek on the thread about theories of what it could be and i was like oh maybe it's 2038 because you know they have some history with the designer and it's you know a game that a lot of people seem to ask about and it's not really that available i thought it'd be cool and it kicked off this whole debate on randomness yeah i remember that yeah everybody was (laughs) like well there's too much input randomness and not enough whatever no what is it output output randomness yeah lots of discussion about that train gamers don't like randomness in their long train games although a lot of people like 2038 so this person this this person specifically said that um it was like the lowest rated 18xx game of all times and it's not even close like No. It's actually it's actually fairly well rated on BGG, but um, but that's what what sort of kicked it off. But I think it's a possibility. I'm still, if I was going to make a bet, it's 2038. Well, so there was some discussion. The whole thing is that, like a year or more ago, GMT said that they were going to have <clears throat> new, like never before published 18xx titles put on the P500. And then they were kind of disappointed in the way one of them was shaping up. So they said, nah, never mind. And so now when they used the term a new 18xx title, everyone was speculating on whether or not it would be a brand new title or not. So it might be a new reprint or a brand new title. Um, So then Aleph Games, Aleph Games, Aleph, A-L-E-P-H, Game Studios, who published 1883, I believe. Uh, They have several new 18xx games coming in 2020, including 1947, 18 Zoo, which I think is like an 18xx that somebody designed to like try and get their kid into 18xx. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like I've seen that somewhere around. Um, I do actually think that's the case, but I again, I could be mistaken. Um, and then 1843 and 1841 plus and possibly merge them into one big game. So uh, I know what people were talking about 1841 on our stream of 89, and this is the studio that I, it sounds like is going to put this out again. Yeah, so I'm really hopeful for that one because right now, 1841 through Golden Spike is like $175 plus shipping. I think it's like over $200 shipped. And I'm really hoping that 1841 plus is playable with any of the rule sets or that the new rule set is the best one. So that way I can get a copy of 1841 and not feel like I'm getting, you know, missing out on anything by not having the other version. So the that's my hope for it. 
I just want yeah. the best version of 1841, whatever that ends up being. Yeah, it's tough to buy like an older version of something when you know something newer is coming out that's going to maybe address a problem or incorporate a new variant or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, uh, it sounds like this is like as of a couple hours ago, but it sounds like a new version of 18MS is going to be released by All Aboard. Uh, we're assuming probably at the end of this year, so 2020. Um, 18MS is a little like two-hour 18xx game that previously was and and still will be included in every copy of 18 Dixie that was that's produced. So it just came along. It was this extra little game that you could play, and a lot of people. That, well, I actually only learned about this maybe a month ago, but um, the person who was showing it to me, who's a local here, was like, yeah, this is a great game to like teach new players, but you can only get it if you buy 18 Dixie, which is kind of hard to come by. So, I, I mean, I guess you can buy that from Golden Spike, but the wait list is long. Yeah, I, so is, is, Scott, or is All Aboard Games publishing 18MS as a standalone? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Woo. Okay. So it's yes. not it's it's not also coming with eighteen Dixie, <clears throat> no, with the new version. Okay, yeah, this would be a standalone. Oh man, that was <clears throat> something crazy happened. Uh, all right, would you like to lay some tokens? <clears throat> sure, let's do it. You go first. Uh, so titles of interest and what we've been playing. So I have played. So let's see. Uh, I, I still have an ongoing eighteen sixty one game online. Um, which Johnny has tapped out of. <laughs> he said, no more. <laughs> so the, no more. the I'm not normally one to do this, but we got so many rules wrong at the beginning that were so impactful to the game that it felt to me like we needed to just start over. But I didn't want to like be like, okay, everybody, we're throwing this game away. So I was just like, all right, let my companies basically get liquidated and continue on with that. Yeah, he just had some mergers, and he realized a rule that is like, they were being, they were going to be uh, liquidated or reacquired. I don't know what the term is that the the national was going to eat them. Um, and he said, "Yeah, okay, tap out." Anyway, uh, we're continuing on, and we have a, a major company in that game, or a, yeah, I think they're called majors or publics or whatever they're called. So that's that's happening, slow but steady. Uh, Johnny and I got to go to a local. 18xx sort of pseudo meetup that happens every month and he got to play well whatever i got to play 18 new england um with it was a three-player game uh, i taught it and i you can't see me but i'm air quoting right now taught as a loose term because i had it had been like a month since i played online man i helped teach it yeah, I had to like ask Johnny a bunch of questions from across the table, saying like, is, "How do you uh, tell me about IPO shares again?" Um, but that went pretty well. It was a not super short game, but I feel like next time probably three and a half, four hours for that same experience would be would be likely. Uh, all all parties enjoyed it, and then we had man, what's going on? Something's happening to my body. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, you fix you, you fix your throat. I'll talk about what I played at that. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, do that. So I played 1860. So one of the players that Eric played 18 New England with had a copy of 1860, brought it with him. Um, his name's Joe, and he let us use it. And we played a three-player game. Um, you, I played it with uh, with Randy and Sean. You'll you'll know Randy if you've seen our streams. Um, that was fun. However, I played 
like the first half of the game with 1862 rules in my head and i was thinking that you could only sell a train for up to its uh up to its face value when it's current and half value when it's not current and kept it didn't shuffle trains when i really needed to thinking that i couldn't and then when another player shuffled his trains for the first time i was like oh you gotta be kidding me <laughs> I could have been doing that this whole time, and I ended up in in such a bad position. It was it was embarrassing. I think I had like a like twenty five percent of the amount of money of the second place player nice. at the end of the game. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But uh, but it, I could see how if I hadn't made those mistakes, how it would be an enjoyable game. So I'm excited to play it again. Why can't you but, have those kind of ex- uh, mistakes when I'm playing the games with you? Um, because I have I usually have a drink that I'm not drinking. Yeah, John has this tendency of whatever alcohol gets poured from he just lets it sit there in front of him and he he like can't be bothered to think to drink it because he's thinking so hard in all the games and i'm like two drinks in and he's kicking my butt and that's probably why that's it right it's the alcohol that's it uh we also played a stream of 1889 which maybe you caught we let's see that was january 8th so it was very recent it was a three-player game. It was supposed to be four, uh, but we lost a player at the end, and we had a pretty good time with it. It was very interesting. It was super different than any plays of 89 that I have experienced so far. It was so friendly that I, I just couldn't understand what was happening. I was like, who is this person I'm playing this game with? John is usually a very <laughs> cutthroat player, and he was like, oh, sure. Yeah, you won't token this, and I won't token that, and no one will token anything, and here, here's $40. And <laughs> <laughs> It was crazy. But we finished the game up in three hours, and we broke the bank, which is... Uh, my previous experiences have been, if you're not you know, bankrupt, your game's going to run four, maybe five hours, and this was nice and succinct, and... That's part of going to be our top topic coming up is playing more cooperatively and the pros and cons and things to think about with that. Uh, we also started a game of 1830 online with Chris Whitpan of Wheel Tapping and Chris and Fred from, not from Wheel Tapping again, from Derailed. I wrote Wheel Tapping <laughs> twice in here. Um, so we're having a podcast, uh, 18X, 18XX game on rr18xx.com. And that is just horrendous so far. We we just finished the private auction. It's going fine, except oh for you, God. except for you and Chris K. So I I bid, I think a hundred. So you start with whatever four hundred eighty dollars, and I bid like a hundred and forty six, I think, on the Mohawk in Hudson, and I was like, oh, that gets me a share. I only need five shares, so I can afford it, and I can. But then I realized afterwards that I paid $146 for a $67 share. Which I find hilarious. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a terrible deal. It so, just reminds me of the time we played in the Year of the Dragon. Uh, Every time you make decisions like that, it reminds me of that game. This but, is a bad game that we're not going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and like I mentioned before, I also played uh, Irish Gage with my wife. Uh, or I, I, since last podcast, I played that. So there's all my training games. It's a bunch of them. So, a pretty yeah, so going back to the 1830 private auction, um, the other interesting thing that's happened, which we'll see how that plays out, is Chris mistakenly bid 80 on the, what is it, the D&H? Yeah, it's the 70, 
$75 one. $75 minimum 70. instead of bidding 78 yeah. on it. So he's going to be $2 short of starting a company. Um, and I think he wasn't looking at the cash when he did that. So we'll see how that ends up working out. Yeah. It's gonna but be... I think the other three of us, uh, I mean, I, I don't know that we're in strong positions, but I think the auction turned out fine for us. Like I got the B&O at face value. Chris Whitpan got the CNA for 210 and Fred got the bottom two privates at uh well one for five above face and one at face so i feel like those two did the best i i feel like the bno is hard to deal with but it'll be interesting yeah we'll see we'll see uh yeah that's all of our that's all my games and yeah you you Uh, i played 1862 uh six player game and that was it was good uh i actually really liked it at six uh five is probably better i think than six but I felt like there was there was a lot of good tension. There were things I hadn't seen before. I got to see a company go bankrupt. Um, you know, with six people playing, there were some people that were doing mostly investing, some people that were running companies. And we had two people who had not played before. One who I think was pretty new to 18XX. Um, and it still took, only took us five hours, which I felt was pretty good for a six-player game. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't think we played particularly quickly, so... Yeah, like you guys explained the game to them from scratch sitting there. So they did no prep. And I won. Oh, of course. Um, we have a couple, actually quite a few new games on, on their way or recently arrived. We we just got our copies of 18SY and 1891 from Loser Dog Games, which is all the way from Japan. And a a new Apache laminator that Johnny and I split, so like a 13-inch laminator to help assemble them. So I'm excited about that. And we've, we both got our copies of 1862 in the mail. Finally, I have yet to punch mine, but I'm, I'm psyched to, to play it again. And did you get any, anything else other than this right, right now, Johnny? Um, I recently got 44 and 54. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, which we haven't played yet. And no, I think that's it. I also got a new set of poker chips for, christmas slash my birthday which are like right at the same time and i'm totally obsessed with them and i designed custom train shuffling logo labels for them which have been posted all over the internet so if you look at train things you've probably seen them and i don't apologize for that because i got his 20s are green i got good feedback and everybody (laughs) needs to calm down about the fact that the green the 20s are green seriously also uh (laughs) nobody likes dollar signs apparently so I took the feedback and I think they came out better looking. So I appreciate that. But oh my God, poker to play poker players, please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I posted them on a like poker chip forum or whatever, where, where the label printer guy lives uh, on there online. And I was like, please give me some feedback. As long as we don't talk about religious wars with like green and gray twenties, please, please, please. And the first like three people responded and they were like, Oh my God, the twenties are green. And I was like, no. Uh, okay. You want to run some trains? What's our main topic? Sportsmanship. What is it good for? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So we want to talk about well, a few sportsmanship related topics. Um, one we touched upon was, you know, being competitive versus cooperative and general mindset in 18xx games. Like, 
is it more important to enjoy the experience or be super competitive and beat each other up and then be friends again afterwards? So <laughs> you gotta fight it out one. sometimes. Yeah. What do you What do you like? Do you like enjoying it or do you like being? I mean, I enjoy being super competitive. So those to me aren't mutually exclusive, even though they're worded that way. So yeah, no, I, I understand both of them. I more often go into a game especially if it's a game that i've only like that it's if this is my first play or i've played this like three times in total i'm usually just kind of going along for the ride like i want to you know the the whole idiom of pulling levers i'm i'm pulling levers and seeing what happens take that throat um just trying things out and seeing you know well i think this might be a good strategy i don't know Let's do something crazy. I'm losing. Let's shake the game up. Uh, but I don't generally feel very competitive when I'm playing the games like that. And generally, when I play games super competitively, I have a, a net worse time. Um, I, I enjoy myself less because I don't usually win games. <laughs> and if I'm like super competitive and then I lose it's more likely that I'm going to feel frustrated in the end. So I, I, I like to kind of play for the experience, try and do the best that I can and then shake Johnny's hand as he wins. <laughs> I think I'm a little different. <laughs> you don't like when you um, win? Is that what you're saying? My, yeah, I, I hate winning. I need to figure out how to stop doing it so often. <laughs> <laughs> you prick. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, um, my level of competitiveness will will depend more on the people I'm playing with than than me. If if I didn't have to, if I don't have to worry about somebody's new to a game that I'm experienced in, and are they gonna have a bad time? If I don't have to worry about that, I'm gonna be playing super competitively. I generally feel like if I've if I at least know the rules of a game that uh, I can kind of figure out some strategy and feel like I'm in it, even if I'm not, and I like to feel that the whole way through, and if I don't win, then so be it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go into it thinking I have a chance and play as competitively as possible. That's fair. Um, I mean, yeah, I definitely want to put up a good fight, but like nothing bothers me more than when I go to a to play a game with experienced players and they say, "You're gonna lose this game." Actually, it's funny because the oh. the first oh. really really heavy game that I played. <laughs> Um, was with you <laughs> and it was it was twilight struggle and that was actually what you said i didn't say i didn't bring this up to thinking about that but it reminded me that was actually exactly what you said to me when we played uh, twilight struggle for the first time ever yeah i said all right you're gonna lose and then it's okay and like let's let's just play and see how you like it and you know And it wasn't a pet peeve of mine at the time, but since then, a lot of people, especially in 18xx, will say that when you sit down to play with them, like, hey, we've played this 100 times, you are going to lose. And I'm like, I know that's probably true, but, like, it doesn't need to be said. Let me play. Well, sometimes, (laughs) that's the tough part, though, is that it it might need to be said, sort of. Um, For some people, if they start playing a game and they have just a horrendous experience and they do really, really poorly, it might make them say i don't ever want to do this again if they were if they weren't prepared for the fact that there's a 99 right. chance they're gonna lose yeah like yeah, i didn't I could see that i didn't know how like 
how much experience you need to have in order to do well in this game. And I didn't sign up for this or whatever. If you out from the outset, say, listen, this game rewards repeated plays. And if you don't know stuff, it's likely you're going to do a lot better. The second time maybe would be a better way to phrase that. You know? Yeah, I guess I understand why people say it. And I know that a lot of times it's justified. I guess I just get a little bit prickly at being underestimated. You just, just go, in general. you don't know me. I'll show yeah, you. Exactly. I'll, I'll, and and I usually do. won't show them, but, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, or maybe I, it's a good thing. Cause maybe it like gets that competitive edge in me when somebody says you're going to lose. It makes me want to win even more. Yeah. Um, so that's the competition. Like, I don't know, going with the flow versus, uh, you know, playing it out for, for blood, but I guess kind of in a related topic to that, what do you think about calling games early? Like in what situation are we actually, and this is uh sort of cross talking with uh, derailed. We were talking about this and for uh, one of the topics we're going to discuss next. Um, and like the night after our 1889 stream. And then the next day I was listening to derailed and they were talking about pretty much the same stuff. And I was like, Oh weird. It was like mind hive mind. Well, with that segue, why don't we just, why don't we switch the order? Let's talk about that first. Sure. So King making, that's what you're talking about or playing for second or first, whatever. Right. So there's, um, some highly, highly, I don't know, whatever. There's some, some prevailing opinions, Within 18xx online them that that say if you're not first you're last and like there, you know there's no point to in playing for second and that kind of a mindset and the I, I find that really interesting I very often come in second place and I like to look at games obviously if you're first you're first and you've won the game but there's definitely a a, a space in these games for doing your best and for trying to evaluate how you did against other players because it's not black and white and it's a difficult thing to assess at the end of a game just due to the nature of how if you get one route shut off then your income can tank and someone else's can skyrocket um, but in the end I, I've taken a try and trying to compare money by percentage just saying like of what percent you know if, if the winner was 100 percent, where did i come in was i 98 percent or was i 42 percent? and using that to frame my performance have you started converting our our data into percentages no but i i actually that would be an interesting thing to look at over yeah, like our average like what's my average percentage to yours like what percentage of the bank did you end up with huh basically wonder, is that is that any better than then percentage well, actually, of the no, winner? I guess you can't do it by percent of the bank because you, you go over. When you break the bank, you keep getting money. So it would just have to be the percentage of it's, the final amount of money in the game. It should just be percentage of, of the winner, right? I don't know. That seems like it would make... This is interesting. I wonder, like, you know, what the different merits of those evaluations are. So, like, the uh, correlated topic, then, is king-making in this game, like... Am, am I, because I'm playing for second or trying to do my best if I'm in third place and two players are neck and neck for first, any decision that I make will likely have an effect on either of those two players or both and might decide the game for them. And so the 
the question comes into play, like, you know, should you just do whatever you can to stay out of, like, don't make any decisions that King make, or should you just play entirely for yourself and whatever, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I don't know. I, I generally feel like I, I do that second approach. Like I'm playing for me. If there's a benefit to me, I do it. Nothing personal. Sorry if you lost because of it. Not my fault. Like, yeah. We had this discussion once a while back. I can't remember who it was with, but, um, somebody was basically saying like, if you make a decision that determines who wins your king making very broad definition of it. I think my definition of king making is much more narrow. It's strictly when you choose the winner without regard for your personal position, which I think is bad sportsmanship. But if you're making a decision that best serves to improve your position in the game and the byproduct of that is that that will affect who comes in first and who comes in second and you're neither of those positions, I still think that's that's perfectly fine Yeah, to make so, the decision that's best for your position. We are agreed. Train shuffling, yeah. stamp of approval, do that. Yep. <laughs> um, and then so I guess we're, we were going to also talk about just calling games early. Um, it's been my observation that we will at some point through any game decide who has won. And then half the time we're wrong. Well, you know, if we continue to play the game out, we'll we'll be playing, we'll be playing, and we'll say, you've won this game. And then this other person will win at the end of the game. And we didn't see it coming, which is interesting. Well, part and of I, it... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say that I think... I, I, was, I used to chalk more of that up to inexperience. Like, I can't foresee how all this stuff is going to play out. And it, you know, I, I don't have the ability to do that. But we're playing with more in some very experienced players right now and they'll will, they will call the game in someone's favor halfway through and then we'll keep playing and then it'll be someone else. And it's happened twice now. I mean, it's only two times. It's a pretty small sample set, but I feel like, you know, the calling games under a time constraint is fine. Or if no one's having fun, or whatever. And there are definitely situations where it's like, this is impossible to overcome this person. It is impossible. When everyone at the table is kind of like, yeah, there's no way. Then I feel like at that point you end the game and you, even if it wasn't the case, everyone has decided it's no longer fun to try and beat this person's overwhelming advantage. So I actually think there's a little bit of a causality that may be being ignored in, in some sense. You say it, like half the times we're wrong. Well, I think that some of the times that we're wrong when we call a game is actually a result of calling it because uh, specifically I'm, I'm thinking of a game of 1889 we played where almost everybody thought that uh, Morris was in an uncatchable lead and people started focusing on well, how can I disrupt his route? And they weren't trying to king make. They just figured if I have any chance of winning, I need to pull this person back. And he really wasn't in that great of a position, not as great as everybody thought, but because everybody thought he was winning, it actually paved a very clear path for me to win because I was in the, the best position to overtake him and everybody kind of ignored me because I wasn't winning. And it's happened the other way where, I, where people think I'm winning and they team up on me and then I don't win. So it's not that we're calling it wrong, it's that we're changing the course of 
the game because of who we think is winning. I would argue that that is calling it wrong. If we're saying that there's no way we can disrupt this person and then we manage to do that, we've called it wrong because we proved ourselves wrong, right? By definition, we've called it wrong. But um, I think the other and the other point I was going to make was that uh, you're also assuming that whoever's in the lead will not make a mistake because these games can turn around very quickly. Somebody can make one bad decision and go from a dominant lead uh, to a distant last place. So I don't know that a game is ever clear, uh, often clear, who's going to win because... playing with perfect players. Right, exactly. Which is rarer than you would think. So yeah, that's our... Oh, oh we also... Oh, there's there's more. There's more. When I, let's talk about the, uh, the, are we done with that one? Yeah. Cool. Uh, so a big theme of our last game of 1889 was playing with a cooperative mindset versus an aggressive mindset. And I guess this largely falls into tokening, um, into that realm of the game. But I think there are probably other ways where, where it can be shown in the game like yeah, other ways track lane right for sure yeah track lane is yeah huge mostly on the map though i'm like i feel like it's less like you won't buy shares in my company and dump shares if i won't dump shares on your i don't know maybe that's the thing too but um what are we talking about johnny so the yeah so the pros and cons of whether we want to play this, these games cooperative versus competitively so i'm a little bit torn i i think that playing cooperatively can be fun I think there can be less frustration. You don't get your best route cut off. You know, you have good feelings at the end. Everybody had open routes and everybody got to run their diesels all the way around the map. And yay, we had a great time. And you can have, you can learn a lot through this, especially if you're playing with experienced players because they're openly discussing their plans uh, because they know that you're not going to be actively trying to disrupt those plans in a aggressive way. So I think those are some of the positives, but in general, I'm a little torn because I think there's a lot of downsides to playing cooperatively. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that um, if you have inexperienced players at the table, these these deals that are being discussed are, as Randy mentions, they're always going to be lopsided in someone's favor. So most often they're going to be lopsided in favor of the experienced players. Hey, Otherwise, uh, those just agreements aren't going to be made. Jump in real quick and say, when you, when, when you say, as Randy mentions, uh, Randy wrote up, a article or a little post on our board game geek entry of the video for 1889, our live stream that we did, which I'll put in the show notes and you can go read his thoughts on how that game played out. If you want to go watch our 1889 stream, it'll make a little more sense, but he gives like a rough overview of how he and Johnny cooperated. They started the game off with the two companies in the South and South West of the map that can kind of link up together and get good early game runs. And he he went on and, and discussed that in, in detail. So that's what Johnny's talking about when he says, as yeah. Randy mentions. So, so he, he mentions that these deals will, will be lopsided. And, and I'm not suggesting that the experienced players are going to intentionally try to take advantage of new players and make them get into bad deals, but they're almost always going to be able to take better advantage of a deal than a newer player because they understand all the consequences of every decision because they've seen these games play out in a lot of cases hundreds of times. So I think that in and of itself makes 
cooperation actually less beneficial for the new player than just pure competitive play where all the players are kind of keeping to themselves about what their plans are. Um, I also think that sometimes some of the games that we've played competitively feel like we're on rails. Pun half intended. I wrote that and then realized it was a pun. But, um, uh. ha. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes people are like, well, you really want to lay this track here because that's how it's always laid. Whereas sometimes I just want to figure these games out myself. So, um, so those are some of like the, the downsides. And I think there's a lot of pressure when a group that you've joined plays cooperatively a lot that you're uh, pressured to play cooperatively because if you don't, somebody might uh, get aggressive towards you. I actually had a player who I won't name saying, well, you could token there, but I'm going to destroy you if you do. And I was like, okay, I won't token there. <laughs> I, and it was like, you know, I, I had an interesting moment with this with uh, 18 New England. And I was playing with um, a player named Bruce, who, when we were kind of like in the final set of ORs, I think, or maybe the, yeah, it was either the final or the penultimate set of ORs. And I finally managed to get my last token that I had saved so that I could cut off his route across whatever it was. You know, out of it was like Hartford. I was gonna put a token down in Hartford, and he was like, "Yeah, so I'm just gonna show you all my tokens here, and say like you could do that, but then I'm gonna token you out of your route, and neither of us are gonna win. So why don't you think about that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, okay," and I, I picked the token back up and said, "All right, that's fine." So like, you know, that kind of an arms like a truce makes sense a lot to me but if you are close to winning and you're going to take out the you know the person behind you it's it's i can see that being a valid you know casualty that needs to be to be made yeah and i think i think in some ways i guess what i'm trying to say is that i think that some of the fun of learning 18xx is making your own mistakes and i think playing cooperatively all the time takes away some of that learning experience and you just get to see how a game is played once you have experience but you don't get to experience the journey of becoming experienced sure it does make the initial plays a little bit less painful though as far as playtime, because then the game kind of tends to run for more money and and the bank will run out sooner so the game will be over faster so you get a sort of a more abbreviated view of here's what can happen I, I, so I, I can see benefits to both sides of this discussion. Yeah, definitely. And I've enjoyed games where we play cooperatively. I just don't think I'd want to play that way all the time. I, I definitely think if we if we went back to 1889, I would want to play that a lot less cooperatively. One of the things that I hate most about the cooperative plays the amount of table talk uh, that results in why why are you going to do that? And then have the person take their move back when the when when another person was going to take advantage of that and like the games lose some of their bite, I think, when all of the bad decisions that somebody was going to make are corrected before you can see the result of those mistakes. You're specifically talking about me trying to sell down a bunch of shares and then Randy pointing out like, uh, that you should consider whether or not you want to do that. No, you were buying up my shares. I was buying them. Okay, whatever. And I was, was. going to dump a company on you, and it was going to be awesome. 
and then he spoiled your fun. He spoiled my fun. Yeah. But but that's not the that's not the only time I've seen that happen. There's we've we've been playing a lot of a lot of games with experienced players and there's a lot of times where somebody will point out um and somebody's somebody's pointed out my mistakes that I've then been able to correct. So it's not it's not purely this one incident. Um but I think sometimes having those moments is part of the fun when you get to I mean, we had a whole question about what's the best like most fun thing you've seen in a stock round. And they're almost always these company dumps. Yeah, mistakes being made are what <laughs> lead to the fun, epic moments yeah. in these games. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to not have any of those epic moments because our mistakes are corrected in real time. Yeah. Yeah, I like to maybe you know set out once you've played that first nice game maybe, and then you go out and have a horrendous time, and blood will be shed. And yeah, it, it can be. I like blood. Enjoyable yeah. in its own way. I mean, you love blood. <laughs> Always you with the blood. <laughs> okay, I think that wraps up our main topic, unless you have anything else. Nope. So let's go on to dividend payout. What are we doing? Payout, withhold, half pay? We're, yeah, I guess half pay. Three-quarter no, pay. I, got, I think we got like, yeah, three-quarter. <laughs> sure. I, I say three-quarter because we don't actually have a date for our next stream, but we okay. do have a bunch of promises that we're going to make. We have many promises to make. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we streaming uh in no particular order uh, up well, next the first one is 1824 and that is our next stream sure um uh, primarily because we were we were gifted a copy of 1824 uh by lonnie and we promised we'd get it on stream and the only reason we haven't is because we haven't had time to play a game off stream to learn the rules so we need to um, do it justice we need to do it justice so 1824 that's the next stream we're doing yeah and then in no particular order i'll let you name another uh we want to get 18 new england 1860, 18 scan, 1891 or 1856 in any one of those, either one of those. Um, they're ba- they're basically the same game in different locations with slightly different rules. Hmm. Um, I also do want to play 1861 or 67 on stream. So there's like six games there, and that's just like the immediate stuff that I'd like to that I'd like to stream. So we have a uh, a bunch of more games after that that we'd like to play and get to the table. We have suddenly access to a, a whole lot more games too. So um, <clears throat> of those games that we mentioned after 1824, if you have opinions, uh, ones that you'd really, really like to see or, or whatever, let us know. That may help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, like to, I'd like to do 18CZ as well, uh, just because I feel like now that we've got more experience, we could do it more justice. More I think we were a bit, a bit bumbling in our first play. Sure. And it was a bit slow and didn't really highlight how great of a game it is. And yeah. I think that it's an awesome game. I, so I do want to do re- repeat plays of actually probably all the games that we've streamed. Um, I think it's interest. I think it would be interesting to see the progression of new 18xx players becoming more experienced and seeing how a six-hour game became a three-hour game. Right. And we've, we have already demonstrated that, demonstrated that mm-hmm. to some degree with 89. Yep. Um which is cool. Uh, I guess there's just a couple other things. We'd like to thank Wheel Tapping for mentioning us in their latest episode on 18 Mix. That was pretty pretty darn cool. And uh, yeah. Chris for and Tony, it. you guys are, are great guys. Yeah. Not Johnny. Yeah. Chris and that guy that goes <laughs> on a podcast with him. You're great. <laughs> Johnny's just salty because Tony called me out by name. Uh, no. Well, I am, but that's not what I meant. Chris said that 
that we refer to him as the guy on that does the podcast. That's with true. Tony, so I yeah, at I'm that saying. point I didn't know Chris's name off offhand. So yeah, so Tony's the guy that does the podcast with Chris now. Yeah, that's funny. We get, we um, correct the imbalance. Yes. Now all is right with the world. But yeah, Tony, if you're listening, you said Eric's a very cool guy. I just want you to know I'm a pretty cool guy too. That's what all the cool guys say is that they're cool. <laughs> um, thanks also to Derailed for spreading Johnny's good word on 1862. Uh, Johnny was featured heavily on the latest episode of the Derailed podcast. I believe that's episode 28. Um, oh my God, these guys crank out content. I know, we're on six, but they started before us. It's okay. <laughs> and they're also doing it <laughs> weekly. Um, ain't nobody got time for that. I don't know. That's crazy. Uh, that was very, very cool. Um, Johnny wrote this big old email in response to their past episode on 62 with some thoughts because we've been playing it a bunch lately and he had some stuff that he just had to say. And I, I, I gotta say it felt, it, it was pretty smart sounding. So good job. <laughs> Thanks. You sounded smart. <laughs> okay. We got like a, uh, fool, fool people every once in a while. Yeah. It's, 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 I guess it's easy, easy to do. Uh, <laughs> cool well let's talk about train facts so did i mention on the last pod- podcast that i went to the public library and got a book mm-hmm. all right cool i thought i did but oh well you told me i don't know if you said it yeah so i went to the library and got the great railroad revolution by christian wolmar the history of trains in america it's got a very imposing cover uh i feel cooler about trains even holding it in my hands cooler about trains <laughs> Are you displaying the book for us right now? I'm holding it up for everyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I've been reading it, and I'm basically going to just pill for facts out of that and give them to you. And it's going to be a great learning experience for everyone. And it kind of, it's interesting because it starts way like before trains. And it, and it starts off talking about wagon ways. And like, we talk a lot about locomotives and steam trains and all that stuff and how the history of those are really cool. But um railways or wagonways as they were referred to it actually existed back as far as the ancient greeks um there's evidence of of wagonways like ruts in the road um in ancient greek greek times and then they moved on to so they moved to like wooden timbers in the in the road to try and support wheels in getting like carts of coal or slate um, out of like mines and then to drag them into like the nearest waterway so they could get them on a boat. And then in about 1738, there was an innovation in iron covered rails. It was the first time that it stops, it stopped the rails from being worn down so quickly, which allowed rails to get a lot longer because they didn't need to be replaced so often. So all of a sudden with this innovation, they were able to move stuff a lot further and develop longer railways. And it, after that, the next innovation that they kind of needed to work on was stopping wagons from slipping off onto the ground. And the two ways that they devised to do that was to come up with L-shaped rails. So they had basically two L's, like a, an L facing another L, to hold the wheels in. And opposing technology or similar technology was a flanged wheel, which is what we ultimately settled on, where the wheel actually kind of encompasses the, the track itself. The L's, L-shape was the first that was tried out in about 1776 at the Duke of Norfolk in Yorkshire. And Colliers, which is a word for a coal miner, 
I didn't realize, but I learned from this book, actually broke up the the L-shaped track that the guy was laying, that the uh, the plate layer named John Carr was laying because L-shaped track required fewer horses and men. So they were like losing their work to these newfangled machines and all that stuff, which I think is pretty funny. And they chased the guy into the woods where he had to hide for three days. <laughs> ATMs of the 1700s. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> Stealing <laughs> our jobs. And then eventually flange wheels seem to be have seem to be have wow that's great seem to be <laughs> seem to have been developed by uh, William Jessup in about 1789 and this guy William Jessup actually is also credited with the uh, laying of the first transverse ties uh, or sleeper rails that greatly improved the stability of the track so it's kind of like long and winding but it's you know just generally about like the development of railways themselves which I think is interesting and I have never heard anything about it so now you know. The yeah, more you that's know. cool. All right. Well, we seem to have be gotten to <laughs> the screen. end of our episode. Uh, so let's buy some trains. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, our listener question. We, uh, we're going to ask you guys what you guys want to hear us talk about. Yeah. Total cop-out question. What's a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode? Don't say nothing. That would be very sad for us. And... Just a reminder that if you call our hotline, Johnny, hit us up with the hotline number on the spot. Quick go. It is 410-357-1898. That we will not answer your phone call. We will let it go to voicemail. So call. We actually don't have the ability to answer. We've told it to go straight to voicemail. That's true. Yeah, we never even see it except for the voicemail that pops up. So don't worry. We won't answer the phone and be like, hey, who are you? Hello. And it won't get lost in all the other voicemails. (laughs) Those hundreds. And hundreds of wrong calls from that one guy. <laughs> All right, Johnny, do you need to go to bed? I do, yeah. I work at 4 o'clock. Oh, my. Be up at three. You need to go to sleep. Everyone, let's let Johnny go to bed. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye.